If you can develop the identity of being a disciplined person by doing routine disciplined actions, doing hard things, then the friction on doing hard things reduces to the point where hard things are no longer hard things. They are things you do because you're the kind of person that does them. Hello and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. I'm joined as always by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. How are you, Mr. Gilson? I'm happy to be here, Patrick. <laughs> Me too. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the gap that exists uh, for, all, I'm going to say all of us to a degree, between what we want to do and what we do between what our values are, we believe our values are, and what our actions uh, illustrate as what our, our our values are. And I think this conversation or this idea came to us because, you know, we've got these, we've got all of these rules and these behaviors around health, wealth, and time. And it's one of those things that you look at them and you and you say, okay, yep, got, I recognize the value in each one of those rules. Or I recognize the logic in each one of those rules. But man, I'm not doing this one, that one. I don't even know where to begin on that one. I suck there and I got, I'm good at that one, right? And so I think this conversation started from a place of like, well, how do you start to organize yourself in such a way that you can say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then, then start to put actions in place that align with that thing that you say intellectually makes sense. And so let us, let's kind of start there and just give us a sense of where to, where to start this conversation about what is often kind of known as like the knowing doing gap. What does that mean? And how can we sort of start to understand what that is so that we can get to a place of taking action on it? I want to start the conversation with a, just a hug, like... Genuinely, I think that we all have somebody that we want to be who isn't who we are. In other Mm -hmm. words, we wouldn't be sitting here listening to essentially what's a self-improvement podcast if you felt that you were dialed across all of these virtues of, of humanity, across optimizing your health, wealth, and time. You're looking for ways to do that. So I want to start with a hug, like this knowing doing gap, this difference between your aspirational and your practice values exists for all of us, you know, and it's funny, we're the purveyors of this podcast. Like I absolutely eat too much sugar. I absolutely don't always build my muscular strength as often as I should. You know, I have been, uh, persuaded to say yes to something I didn't want to do even though our time rules prohibit it. And so I want to start with a hug. I want to start with a hug for me. And I want to start with a hug for everybody out there saying, hey, this exists. Like this this gap exists. You can narrow it. And I want to talk about how, but I also want to talk about, Patrick, the joy in having your aspirational and your practice values be as close to each other as possible. Because there's no dissonance in your head when those things are close to each other and you will be happy and more serene. And I'd say really, you know, we disguise this as how do you get freedom? I, this project to me in a lot of ways is actually how do you get serenity? 
how do you how can you just be at peace and you can be at peace when you narrow the gap between who you want to be and who you are when you accept yourself not because you're deficient and you're just like oh those deficiencies are okay but where you're improving yourself enough that you can say yeah by and large i live those values and at the same time that you bring those values down out of the stratosphere and bring them to a place where you can perform them like you are not probably Tony Robbins, right? You're not waking up in the morning and like, you know, bouncing on the trampoline, taking a cold plunge, looking into the, looking into the sun, taking 90 minutes before you have your coffee, then making sure that you express gratitude four different ways, journaling, then doing a workout, stretching, doing yoga, right? And then saving all your money and donating the excess to charity. I'd be interested that what you just described is an interesting amalgamation of like, you know, Tony Robbins and, uh, uh, and Huberman and Warren Buffett. That's, I'd, I would like to see what that human looks like. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be <laughs> impressive. <laughs> okay. So that's the, that's sort of what we're going to try to, uh, talk about, uh, talk about and talk through today. This, this closing of the gap, but I'm curious, like, what is the, in your mind, in your experience, what is the benefit of the effort required to closing that gap? When you become closer to the human that you want to be, uh, you are probably objectively improving your life, either your lifespan, how long it lasts, and therefore your ability to, to make impact or create joy on the earth. Uh, you are probably literally giving yourself more wealth, which gives you the ability to be generous. It gives you the ability to build and form new things and do exciting new things. It gives you the ability to buy experiences for yourself and those you love that are, are tremendous. And so as you look at narrowing the gap, you we don't narrow the gap to random places, right? Uh, we're not necessarily standing around and saying, you know, I'd like to be the kind of person who... Uh, reads 10,000 pages a day. Uh, first of all, you can't. But if you could, <laughs> right, what would yep. the objective benefits of having read be? Almost no matter what you have read, you will have not only consumed that information and become more knowledgeable, you also will have reflected your own life experience off of what you read and probably have some insight into, into what you're doing. So all of your aspirational values are likely objectively positive. And so by pursuing them and narrowing that gap, you get better to an absolute maximum, a local absolute maximum. It just gets better. Okay. So let's talk about some strategies to actually do that. Is, is the first strategy to recognize or to have the awareness of where this, where this gap exists, right? So let's just take our health, wealth, and time, right? Looking at, okay, looking at my health, recognizing I know I should be doing this and I'm doing this. I know I should be doing that and I'm doing this instead. Is that sort of step one is just to try to zoom out wide enough to recognize and identify where this gap exists in, in again, whether it's health, wealth, time, or anything else? Yeah, I mean, let's go Vulcan logic, uh, which is often where I go with my consulting clients when I'm talking to people, which is, you know, let's make sure that we're just literally laying out uh, the landscape. And so, yes, you need to understand where those gaps exist. So for instance, it might be that, hey, uh, my triglycerides are too high and I want to bring them down. That's a really objective one. Okay. Now I need to assign a value to that from what to what and how, right? So I think it's really useful to get that landscape. But 
we also tend to cast the net too widely and to say, I'm going to find all the things that are wrong with my wealth behaviors. I'm going to find all the things that are wrong with my health and my time behaviors. I'm going to find all of my failings as a human being and all of my regrets. And I'm just going to open the closet. I'm going to let all the snakes out right now. It's incredibly self-defeating to have a catalog of everywhere you possibly have a deficit. Uh, so what you want to do, frankly, is limit the universe of things that you're trying to improve at any given time. You can't simultaneously be a world-class marathoner and a world-class powerlifter. By limiting the universe, we allow ourselves the focus that we need to actually close the gap between the aspirational and the practice value. Let's dive into some of the strategies that uh, we've got here. And I've got a list of the ones that you know you and I have chatted about. So I'm just going to prompt you on the first one and we'll go. Reducing the universe and in which you are looking is in many ways reducing the friction of starting. Because when you've got 18 things and you're beating yourself up about the gap of 18 things, it's really easy to say, I'll deal with all 18 of those things later, mm -hmm. instead of saying, okay, 18 things, got it. Here's the one that I feel like is the biggest driver or would be the biggest driver of improvement if I improved it, if I focused on it. And so now I can, at least I'm a little bit closer to starting because I've, I've constrained myself. That's not the only friction that now exists. You now need to also see if you can, can't reduce that friction of saying, okay, that thing, what is, in, what, is start, what is in my way right now that is impeding my progress? So I think it would be interesting rather than speaking in, in generalities about reducing starting friction, uh, speaking in specifics. And so uh, I'd love to understand a place where you have that gap between your aspirational and your practice values, just for illustration's sake, uh, so that we can talk about reducing starting friction uh, in a, in a very specific fashion. Let's think about our rules. And I'll just use one that I've been thinking about a lot, which is, and I might not get the exact wording, but it's one of our time rules of setting boundaries and expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the things for me that I've struggled with over, let's just call it the last six to nine months is in my work life, letting, you know, I very much have a sort of a project based life. And so I've got a number of projects all going at the same time. And something that's happened over the six, last six to nine months has been, all of those projects have kind of exceeded the time domains in which I originally gave them. Mm -hmm. And so my, my challenge now is to try to figure out how to rein those back in so that I can set the right boundaries, set the right expectations, and then actually live through them, live with them. We want to uh, enforce and put boundaries on the time that we're giving any given pursuit. So the first thing that you need to do and anybody needs to, I mean, please, you know, form your own analogy is to say, what is the next immediate action that I need to do? And I'd suggest with almost anything, what you first need to do is define success and you need to define success in uh, a time bound. How long will it take me to do this and to get to my optimal state that is and you also need to define success frankly in some kind of numerical term so what i would suggest that you do to reduce your starting friction is say my next action is to sit down and think about and write down how much time i should now be dedicating to each of these projects because i have more information than i had than i had when i began all these projects Right. And your default state will be, I need to give them all more. But if you sat down and said, okay, let me literally prioritize them. Which, which of these contributes the most to my wealth? Which of these contributes the most to my health? Which contributes the most to my time? Which detracts from those things? And knowing that, how much time should I give these things? 
you know? And so you might've started by saying, Hey, I'm going to give this podcast two hours and I'm going to give this one five and I'm going to give this pursuit 10. But now you have all kinds of kind of evolution from there. Okay. What are you going to give them now? Okay. Then what I would do is say, and this is just straight getting things done, David Allen. What is the right. next action you need to take? So you tell me. So after you've sat down and you've defined the new bounds, right? What would be an action you might take to say, reduce uh, the time burden of your least important thing? Uh, I think there could be any number of things. I think for me, one thing that I do and that I've started to lean back into to really pay attention to is actually track and look at how many hours I am spending on things. Because I think a lot of times, again, in just in this particular case, it's going to be easy to forget, oh, I spent six hours last week on that thing and it was supposed to be two. Mm -hmm. And without some kind of number in mind, it's easy to skip over that part of recognition of, oh, it's that much too much, that many hours too too much. So for me, what I've started doing, I, I track this all the time, but it, it is taking a closer look at that relatively uh, frequently so that I can, I, so I can say, okay, okay, last week was too much. Now what am I going to do this week to make sure I minimize that? Or I increase it if the, if it's inverted, if something didn't get enough of my time because something else got too much of my time. Yeah. So for me, the first step was getting really clear on like, where did the hours go? Right. So you're, you're defining the problem, then you're defining what success yep. looks like, and then you're tracking yep. to say, where am yep. I on this continuum between these things? And I think, you know, you should be drawing a bright line to, it doesn't matter that we're talking about this particular problem. Those are generalities that can be applied to any problem. And so usually when I want to reduce the friction of something, what I have to do is chunk it down into the next viable and well-defined action I can take towards that end. It's so easy to focus on the big picture. I need complete command, serenity, and flow of all my working hours. Yep. Holy shit, right? Like, <laughs> okay, cool, fix that. You can't, Yeah. right? You, you can't. Can. Yep. You can only fix it by, by atomizing it, by taking it down into the actionable. Uh, and so I think that whether it's work, whether it's health behaviors, whether it's wealth, it, you really have to reduce your starting friction by saying, hey, what's the next action I can take that I is within my capacity. Okay, the next strategy that we have is uh, create or foster or encourage a rules-based identity. I'm the kind of person that does X. I'm the kind of person who believes X. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting in that there's that embraces to me the difference between an aspirational value and a practiced value, right? If it's your identity, I'm the type of person who uh, mountain bikes at least four times a week might be a rule. And it's my rule, you know, one of mine, I have another one on top of that, which is I will go at least 30 miles on my mountain bike. Uh, it's becomes part of me that I'm a mountain biker. And therefore I do those things. And therefore in that realm of my life, there is no gap between my aspiration and my practice because I truly believe in my heart of hearts, I'm, I'm a mountain biker, you know? And so there's all the accoutrement with that, right? It's the, I own the helmet and the gloves and the bikes and I go on the bike forum and I watch the bike YouTube videos and I get on Strava and I high five my friends for the things they did on the bike. And when I reach out to my friends, it's so that we can go do shuttle laps at the, the local mountain and, and go hit some, you know, some berms and some jumps and some, some <laughs> gnarly tech bro. Uh, so I think it's, it's, really interesting to say, do your values 
align with who you are, you know, and by way of a, a counter example, I mean, one of the things I do every week with optimal is write the newsletter. Okay. So I'm the type of person that writes the newsletter on time. I haven't yet gotten my identity around the fact that I am a writer. It's not a core part of my identity. You might say I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a builder, I'm an athlete. Those are all parts of my identity. And so I'm going to have a really hard time, for instance, right, finishing the copy for the book that I'm writing because I don't yet think that I am a writer. And so mm -hmm. what can you do to align your aspirational values with your identity? And you can do it the hard way or the easy way. You can say, well, I'm going to start thinking about myself a little differently right? Which is the hard way. Or you can say, well, this is how I think about myself. How do I slot in my health, wealth, and time behaviors to align how I do identify already? Or how do you think about starting to bring an identity in that is not yet in, right? Like something happened that made you think of yourself as a mountain biker, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? And that thing, whatever that thing is, generally hasn't happened in the world of writing. Again, just using these two examples that you just laid sure. out. Is it a force of will to say, okay, every day I'm going to call myself a writer until I, until I believe it? <laughs> I'm a writer, I'm a writer, it, I'm a writer, I'm a writer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to write it on my, my bathroom window every morning and I'm going to uh, affirm that. Or is it on the back of these actions that I've taken consistently, I'm now comfortable in calling myself this thing. I've written every day for 30 days, 60 days, a year and a half. And so therefore, based on those actions, I can now call myself a writer. So it's the latter, right? It's the latter. It's what do you do consistently? And I think there's two things to think about there. It's if I wrote 500 words a day every day and then published a book, I would have a hard time not thinking of myself as a writer because not only would I be thinking it, I would have external validation that I was in fact a writer. We almost need somebody else to call us the thing. Right. Mm. Uh, because we are such a social species, I think that external validation, even, even I don't want it to matter. It matters. Right. So we need some external validation of that and we need some proof. Like for a lot of things, we need to prove, Hey, I'm the kind of person who lifts weights. Well, what do you need to do? You need to go lift weights. And I think where we, we start to form those identities is saying, how do I reduce the starting friction <laughs> by identifying the next viable action? and doing it repeatedly that would allow me to identify as such a person. How do I build on that? You know, maybe all I'm doing is going down to the basement and I'm going to do three sets of five squats super lightly. And I'm just going to make sure the only thing I'm trying to do is do that again tomorrow. And so I think identity is what you do regularly. And I think what you do regularly can be enhanced by lowering the bar to immediate success in the thing, right? It's, daunting to think about writing a book. It's less daunting to think about writing an outline for a chapter, right? So we start there. And if you can do that consistently, you become the thing. The next strategy I think feeds nicely into that, which is the, to control your environment and to automate as much as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, this really falls in for me with health and wealth more than anything. Uh, there are, uh, you can control yourself through willpower, but willpower is exhaustible. You didn't get much sleep last night. There goes your willpower, right? There's a bunch of temptation in front of you. There goes your willpower. Uh, and so you control your environment, for instance, by not having junk food in the house, 
You control your environment by having your gym shorts laid out. You ha you control your environment by having two pair of dumbbells in the garage that you can use if you can't make it to the gym, right? You further control your environment by having a workout workouts written for those two pairs of dumbbells in the gym that allow you to do the workout without the friction of getting in there and thinking it's starting. In the realm of wealth, you might say, hey, I want to max out my my 401k. Well, at 22.5 a year, that means that you're going to make a contribution of $1,875 a month. It would be much easier if that just came out of your bank account and you didn't have to do it. You automated the behavior. You became the kind of person who saves. You became the kind of person who maxes out your 401k through a single action. And so really what I'm looking for with control your environment and automation is where's my maximum point of leverage to ensure this behavior continues, right? And it's almost always, can I make one decision that makes, and we've talked about this, can I make one decision that makes the next thousand decisions obsolete, right? Because I've already put the dumbbells in the garage and there's 500 workouts out there that I had, <laughs> that I had chat GBT, right? Which actually it's, it's like remarkably good at writing workouts, which mm. is interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I don't have to now engage in willpower to close the gap between my aspirational and my practice value. Okay. The next strategy is, uh, changing, manipulating, improving your peer group. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. I was like, manipulate your peer group. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. That sounds very, <laughs> that, that sounds sound nice. very wrong. Uh, no, who are you with? I mean, it's just another, it's, it's probably a permutation of controlling your environment. You know, if you want to is, develop yes. an identity, be the kind of person who does X, it pays to have friends who also are the kinds of people who do X, because what we do around here is this incredibly powerful filter for whether you're going to continue to do something or not. In other words, like, let me give you a practical example, right? Uh, neither Annie nor I drink alcohol. Well, that's a lot easier than if she was knee deep in a bottle of vodka every evening and I was trying not to drink. You know, um, most of my friends here are frankly, are mountain bikers. And so what do we do when we get together? We mountain bike, you know, uh, and I think that there is this sense of adopting a new identity and having that identity not be congruent with your current peer group and therefore assuming instead of changing your peer group, you shouldn't adopt that identity. And I'd argue the opposite. You should change your peer group. And I think that it's worth acknowledging that's not easy right? It's not easy to put yourself out there, especially as an adult, to go find new friends, new peer groups and things. But, you know, usually there are vehicles for doing so. In other words, uh, you might listen to this podcast with your spouse instead of independently. You might go to the gym with a friend uh, instead of not. You might go to the gym with the express purpose, not of saying how many, you know, uh, body weight presses can I do today, but saying today I'm going to say hi to a stranger in the gym and see if we might be friends, yeah. you know? So, uh, I think this is just a permutation of controlling your environment. That's worth being specific about. Next one is getting a sense of where your values actually come from. Are they your values? Are they your aspirations or are they the aspiration, the values of somebody else? of a society at large. Are they yours or are you trying to latch yourself onto something that is not you, is not of you, is not for you? <laughs> so much of 
optimal agency is sitting back and saying, is this what I want or is this what somebody else wants? You know, uh, whether that's your job, you know, is this the job I really want or is this the job I think I'm supposed to have because, you know, my parents lionized plumbers or my parents lionized lawyers or, you know, uh, society seems to lionize CEOs. So I don't really care to be one, but I've adopted wholesale other people's values. That's the opposite of agency is, is to say, these aren't my values. These are society's values. And I think like, if, if you think about, and there's been this trend towards like, you know, what do you want your obituary to say? You know, he was kind, generous. Uh, he was wealthy, athletic. Uh, he was the smartest person we ever met. Uh, and, you know, here's all the proof. Here's all the, the existential things you did in the world. Well, that'd be nice. That would be nice. But I think the reality is that um, your obituary is not going to get read by a whole lot of people. And so you need to sit back and say, what is it that I think is a good life? Not what is it that I need the perfect obituary to say? So, you know, there are pursuits that could be thought of as selfish that might be within your value set. You might say, hey, it's really important to me that I get to spend that time alone running two miles every day, right? Well, that's going to come at a sacrifice to that obit value of being a family man, or that's going to come at a sacrifice to the obit value of saying he spent all his time giving to others. Well, you know, he didn't. And so can you sit back and say, of the things that I'm trying to close the gap on after I really identify that universe, is this really important to me or do I just want it to be important to me? And it's really, really easy to get lost in that fog of trying to be some, you know, something that somebody else wanted you to be. I think one of the things that I run into quite a bit, you know, and this will happen is um, money is important to me. You know, wealth is important to me as a signifier of freedom. And it's really easy to get caught up from time to time in the, I should found a company that goes public and makes millions of dollars. Except the last time I founded a company that did, it didn't go public, but made millions of dollars, I actually was fucking miserable a lot of the time, you know? And so you have to remember with any value that you want to ascribe to, that it comes with trade-offs, that it comes with downsides. Uh, and you have to ask yourselves, are, are those, do those fit with me? Do those fit with my identity? Are those values I want? So the way that I had this written down is discard your false values. Discard your false values. Stop trying to narrow the gap towards becoming something you don't really care to be. I think back to what we talked about a little bit ago, which is just the actions that align with the identity or the actions when stacked create the identity. I think in many ways, when we have the gap between, gosh, I should be doing this, and it, 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 and it comes down to these false values or these, these um, borrowed values. You can often see them by the fact that you're not living, your actions are not in accordance with that value. And that is not a failing. It can be thought of as a failing, but it can also be thought of as not mine. I'm not willing to do the actions necessary to become the kind of person who does that kind of thing and to not beat yourself up over that fact, but instead to recognize 
Well, there are things that I do on a regular, consistent basis. There are things that don't feel like pushing a boulder uphill to me. And maybe that is much closer to a value of mine or something that I hold as valuable. And maybe I should pay attention to that more than I am. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that fill in the blank, right? I should be more generous. I should be more creative. I should be more whatever. Okay, fine. I'm not more creative. I'm not uh, that's not who I am. That's not what I do. But over here, that is what I am. I am determined. I am, you know, whatever the thing might be. And let's maybe lean into that and figure out, well, there's still gap there. There's still something bet between where I am and where I want to be. But I'm at least not forcing this one. And so maybe I should start there again, back, back to the kind of the, the constraining the universe in which we're trying to operate. Let's focus on the the values, the pursuits, the ideas that I am already in the best way that I can acting in accordance with and then try to improve that versus starting from a dead stop on something that, as we've been talking about, I just might not care about. There's a lot of wisdom in what you're talking about here. And, you know, it's almost the size of your knowing doing gap is information. If you're massively far from the thing and it's not literally threatening your life. Like, you know, it's not, Hey, don't close the gap between my insanely high cholesterol numbers and what they should be. But it's like, Hey, maybe you don't have to close the gap on generosity. And maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit for all the ways you are generous, where you do the dishes without being asked, where you're the kind of person that makes sure that your partner's pillow is appropriately fluffed before they get in bed and they never <laughs> know it. Like, you know, what are all the ways that you do meet that value? One of the things that um, I really appreciate about uh, my personal relationship is that my girlfriend spends a, a good amount of her time reminding me <laughs> all the ways that I am living in accordance with my values because my own personal self-talk tends towards the, you must be improving all the things at all the times, you know, uh, to sit back and say, well, wait a minute, you don't have an accurate picture of your embodiment of that value. And so that, I think that's the other really interesting thing here is, are you not giving yourself credit? for all the ways that that gap isn't as big as you think it is. Uh, last strategy we've got, and this is sort of the, okay, everything else in place that we've talked about, you still have to sometimes, oftentimes, <laughs> do the difficult thing. You still sometimes have to say no to the drink. You still sometimes have to get to the gym when you'd rather stay in bed for 30 minutes. There are times, many times, where you just simply have to do the hard thing. You need discipline. None of what I'm saying, uh, you know, you get a hug. It's nice to remind yourself of these things. None of this is saying you don't need to be disciplined ever if you really want something. In fact, I'd say that often the thing that uh, separates folks who get to their aspirational values and people who don't is when it gets very difficult to do, do you persist or do you quit? You know, I think that you do need to look and say, am I setting the bar too high? Am I creating an impossible next step for myself? And you do need to pull all those things down to reality. But sometimes to your point, it just means when the alarm clock goes off, you get up and you put your feet on the ground. Sometimes it means when you've got to write the, you know, you've got to write the chapter that you sit down and you write, even if it sucks. You know, and that you have that discipline. And I think one of the interesting things, it's a little recursive uh, and, and looped here, 
is that if you can develop the identity of being a disciplined person by doing routine disciplined actions, doing hard things, then the friction on doing hard things reduces to the point where hard things are no longer hard things. They are things you do because you're the kind of person who does them. And so, yeah, with everything we've said, sometimes put your feet firmly on the ground, lace up your boots and just do the thing that needs doing to get closer to your aspirational value. Cause you've run it through all these filters and it is important to you. And the gap is too big and you need to close it. In many ways, it's the first number of those strategies was let's set, set ourselves up as best we can for success, but that's the setup. Now you do the, you do the work ahead of you, right? You've, you've set yourself up. You've done everything you can to ensure that you are ready and capable and able to close this gap, but that's walking in the door. And now it's time to actually do the, do the reps, the reps of the hard thing. And the, the hard thing is to your point, the thing that will move the needle that will close that gap. Yep. Absolutely. And the thing that will ultimately make you the person you want to be. Anything else uh, to wrap this conversation up about closing the gap between uh, knowing and doing the, the, the gap between aspirational and practical values? Yeah. Uh, the gap is larger when things are hard to do. And the gap is narrower when things are easier to do. So make things easier to do. Set yourself up to your point. Uh, and then do the work and may all your practice and aspirational values live in harmony forever after. Thank you, John. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Thank you for sharing the show with your friends, your colleagues, your cousins. Uh, it helps us continue to grow the show, which we appreciate. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. John and I will be back next week for another episode of Optimal Agency.